do something. Amen? He is. He's going to do something. And we're so thankful for that. And as we think about, you know, starting this new work and everything, and y'all already kind of started things, get things going, and but uh, I want to talk about uh, that very thing today in, uh, in my message. If you will, turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And uh, I heard one pastor talk about turn, tell the congregation, turn to Nehemiah, and he said, I'm going to give you about five minutes to get there. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it probably won't take you that long. But anyway, it's, uh, it's before the Psalms. I'll tell you that. It's easy to find the Psalms. It's before the Psalms. It's right before Esther and right after Ezra. Okay? There we go. Now we're finding it. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, what a great book Nehemiah is. And uh, so it tells us a lot about, they had some new work to start. Amen? Uh, because things had been torn apart and they had some new work to do. Let's start by reading Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Nehemiah 1, 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month Cheslev, that's our December, in the 20th year, and that's the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, which we'll see later, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this word today. We thank you for this book of Nehemiah, Lord, that talks about rebuilding, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see everything you want us to see today, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to every heart, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Nehemiah is a book about the return of the people of God, the Jews, uh, from the Babylonian captivity, although they are now under Persian rule. And this is not the first return, by the way. The first return happened well over 100 years before to rebuild the temple. And uh, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and uh, you can... Catch uh, some of that in the prophets Zechariah and Haggai. 13 to 14 years before Nehemiah's return, Ezra had returned to try to establish uh, worship in the temple. Now Nehemiah returns with a group to rebuild the walls and gates of the city of Jerusalem. In all the attempts to rebuild, there was a lot of opposition. And with the walls and gates torn down, there was no protection or security. And uh, <clears throat> why? Have to ask the question, why? I always do. <laughs> why was it important to rebuild? You know, why not just stay in Babylon and live there? It was a great city, a luxurious city. Why not just stay in Babylon and live there? Why travel all this way and do all, go to all this trouble to rebuild the city that's been torn down? Why? Well, because this is God's chosen people. 
and God's chosen city. The returnees would have been born in Babylon. But, you know, by this time, they'd been born in Babylon, but they had a longing for their father's homeland. And you can get a sense of that in Daniel, much like Daniel when he prayed three times a day with his face toward Jerusalem. You can get a feel for the mood of the captives in Psalm 137, 1 through 6. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is another uh, word for Jerusalem. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our, our captors demanded us of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. So you can get a feel for how they felt about Jerusalem, about the city, about the place that God had chosen to dwell. So although they were captive in Babylon, they were still Jews who longed for their homeland. And although Nehemiah and his group are returning to rebuild the walls and gates, this is a great analogy for rebuilding the church. It is. It's a great analogy. In fact, I've never found one quite like it and quite as good as the analogy here of rebuilding the church. They were, they were doing, uh, they were rebuilding, uh, you know, what they were doing was God's work. And this was his city. So it very much relates to rebuilding the church. Nehemiah was an excellent leader. And although he is not a pastor, he is not a pastor, there is much to learn from his leadership abilities. And so the church also is in great distress and reproach, to use the words of Nehemiah. The walls and the gates are torn down is a great analogy to the life torn apart in our world and in our church. Amen? God and his church and his word is what is needed in this confused, broken, and hurting world today. There is also much to learn from the people of God as we see the great work that they did and the amazingly short period of time they did it in and with crushing opposition. Here, we're not rebuilding a building. It's built, <laughs> right? Uh, but a church, which is you, hey, by the way, which is you, not the building, it is you. And, uh, you know, and all those who will believe through your witness and all those who will come. Uh, God doesn't dwell in a city or temple now. Amen. He dwells in your hearts and your spirits. Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He also said in Ephesians 2.22, we are being built together into a dwelling of God and the spirit. Uh, you know, so the building blocks of this church is people washed in the blood of Jesus, saved by his spirit. Amen. I take the title of my message from Nehemiah 2.18, where the people said, let us arise and build. So let us arise and build. Amen. Amen. That's what we need to do. Let us arise and build. And uh, not a building, but a church. And how can we do that? What is needed? Well, first I want to look at the leader and leader's of the church, and then I want to talk about the people of God and what is needed to arise and build. Number one, a leader 
who is passionate about his calling to lead the people of God, to fulfill the purposes of God in their lives, in the church, and in the world. There is a general call to lead people toward God for salvation and becoming true disciples of Christ, but there is a more specific call right here in front of us. Amen? Rebuilding and reestablishing this church for the good of the community and for the glory of God. Nehemiah had a pressing need right in front of him. This was the city that God chose for himself, and the report was that the uh, you know, the walls were torn down, the gates were burned with fire, the city is destroyed, and the people are harassed. To use the words of the text, they were in great distress and reproach. Amen? It is true that God had allowed this to happen. Yes, he allowed this to happen. And why? Because of their great sin of idolatry that they had stubbornly refused to turn from. But they had suffered for their sin. And now... It's time for restoration. Uh, And Nehemiah is God's man for the job. And he is passionate about what God had called him to do. So the leader and leaders of this church must be passionate about the call of God upon their lives to build this church. What is needed to arise and build? Number two, a leader who is humble and really cares and is broken over what's happening to God's house and God's people. Verse 4 said that when, when I heard these words, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. So you see, let me tell you, churches are struggling everywhere. I preach here, there, and everywhere in the last uh, several, several months, and churches are struggling everywhere. They are. But Nehemiah cared. But you have to ask, why again? <laughs> why? Why did Nehemiah care? Look, he had this cushy job as cupbearer of the king. He had all the food and wine that he needed. He dressed in the finest of clothes. He was like the king's right-hand man, a very trusted individual. He was the one that kept the king from being poisoned. He was very trusted. But he didn't care about any of that right now. God's city was destroyed and his people were in distress, and he felt that he was the one to do something about it. It would take him away, way out of his comfort zone as cupbearer of the king, but not so much out of his comfort zone as we watch him excel as a leader of the people of God. He really did. He was a great leader because he cared, and he felt that God had called him to lead the people into rebuilding the city. Let's look at uh, the scripture again, Nehemiah 1.4, and we'll go through 2.9. 1.4. Chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserved the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night. On behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. Amen. We, you know, they confessed their sins and Nehemiah confessed his sins right along with them. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And make your servant successful, um, excuse me, successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer of the king. And it came about in the month Nisan, March, April, our March, April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased, so it pleased the king to send me, and, I, and he gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that, I may, uh, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was upon me. Don't miss that. The good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them to the, the king's letters. Now the king has sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. In other words, a cavalry. And um, so <clears throat> what is needed to rise and rebuild? Number three, a leader who is a man of prayer. A leader who is a man of prayer. As Nehemiah was mourning over the situation in Jerusalem, it drove him to prayer and fasting. He confessed the sins of his people and his own sin. Uh, this is an humble man. He prayed when he heard of the situation. He prayed before he answered the king. And we'll see later, he prayed when he faced opposition. In every situation, Nehemiah prayed. He was a man of prayer. God answered their prayer, and we see the providence of God work in everything they did. He worked through the king, and he worked out everything for the work to be done. Now, we've talked about the kind of leader this church needs, passionate about his calling, 
a humble man who cares, and a man of prayer. But let me say this. The same is true for every member of this church. Amen? The same is true for every member of this church. Every member ought to be passionate about your calling. Because the calling of God is upon every Christian. Every Christian. And we, should, we need to be passionate about the work before us. Passionate about the future God has for us. Every member ought to be humble and care about the condition of our world and our churches. They ought to care about what happens to this church. I tell people all the time, we've, we've got to care. We've got to care. Every one of us ought to be people of prayer as well. In every situation, we ought to pray without ceasing. As Jesus said in the parable of the unjust judge, we ought to always pray and not lose heart. In other words, never give up. Never give up. In the words of Weston Churchill, in the midst of World War II, when it looked like all hope was gone for Britain, he said to his people, Never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. And we know our enemy, don't we? The God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Churchill gave this speech to his people in England when, when England was being bombed and torn apart, when they were outnumbered, when Germany was taking over everywhere and were at their doors. And he didn't give in when everybody else wanted to surrender to Hitler and Germany. He didn't give in. We must be like that. We must be tenacious in prayer and in our work. We must be like a bulldog that won't let go. Amen? Amen? That's what we have to be. What is the need to arise and rebuild? We must be strong and courageous and relentless in the work ahead. Why? Because in any good thing you do, there is always opposition. Always opposition. Let's look at Nehemiah 2, 10 through 20. This will be the last part of reading we'll do for the most part. Verse 10, this is an important part. Verse 10 of chapter 2, when Symbalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, in other words, what was going on, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Let me tell you why it was displeasing to them. Because they were harassing the people they were oppressing the people. They were coming in and doing whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. And so the people were helpless. There they were. No walls, no gates. They were wide open to the enemy. And these people that we're talking about here, Symbalat and Tobiah, and we'll look later at Geshem also, they were continually oppressing the people of Jerusalem there. And uh, verse 11 says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went up at the night by the valley gate 
in the direction of the dragon's well and on, the, and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Verse 14, Then I passed on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I, had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. But now he's going to tell them in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will be no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of God had been favorable to me, uh, also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Notice that, the good work, the good work. But here comes opposition again. Verse 19, but when Symbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and, and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Because the Persian king was in control of the old known world at that time. And are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah answered in verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Amen? And so here uh, he's, he's rallying the people to do the work. And you know, they had a great work to do. But any good work, as we said, there is opposition. There will be opposition here. Amen. Expect it. Amen. Expect it. We must be strong and courageous and relentless in the work ahead. God told Joshua after Moses had died and he was about to lead the people into the promised land to conquer it. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There will be opposition from within and without, but God will be with us wherever we go. We must be strong and courageous. As time went by the rebuild, in the rebuilding process, opposition ramped up. You think it's bad here? It ramped up. It ramped up a lot. <clears throat> and there were rumors, there were gossip, there were mocking, there was scoffing, and there were serious threats of attack. So much so that the people had to stand guard, and the workers had to work with tools in one hand and weapons in the other. Imagine that. We have to be battle ready as well. We have to be battle ready. Don't think that everything's just going to go well, okay? It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in life, and it's not going to work that way in the rebuilding process. It will be a struggle. We have to be battle ready Nehemiah made an assessment of the situation. He told the people how the good hand of God was upon him. Then he rallied the people to do the work. And after the people heard this, they said, let us arise and build. Amen. Let us arise and rebuild. Chapter 3 tells how they worked together to build the wall. And in chapter 4, verse 6, says they had a heart for the work. 
the people. They had a heart for the work. Their hearts were in it. They worked with all their hearts. Believe me, if you read the story, they worked with all their hearts. You could also say they had a mind to work. And if this work is going to succeed, everyone will have to have, have to set their mind to do it. Amen? Yeah. You, we will have to do it with all our hearts. Amen? And we will have to be all in. All in. That's what it will take. We will have to have a passion for Whitechapel. That's what we have. That's what it'll take. Look, everyone here is gifted by the Holy Spirit in some way. If you're a true believer in Christ, we're all gifted by the God, by the Lord, and by the Holy Spirit. We have to let those gifts rise up and begin to use them for the good of the people and the glory of God. We're going to, have to use our gifts. The people said, let us arise and build. And build they did. <laughs> and build they did. They did. Uh, Nehemiah 6.15, the wall was completed in 52 days. That is an amazing feat. It really is. And uh, to see Nehemiah at work in all of this was amazing, really. And what the work that the people did was amazing. Amazing. They, they had an amazing unity. Everyone did what they could, and they completed the wall. You know, and so there's one more thing, though, that needed to be restored. And that's in chapter 8. I'm not really going to read, but just a little bit of it. Um, but in chapter 8, they restored the word of God and the worship of God. Amen. Let me tell you, they both have been lost to a large degree. And, you know, we won't read it in chapter 8, but, uh, you know, chapter 8 tells the story of the restoration of the word of God and the worship of God. And believe me when I tell you this, uh, this is lost to some degree in churches all over the place. But it must be central to what we do. The word of God and the worship of God must be central to what we do. Without the word of God, the preaching of the gospel... And true worship of God, we become something else besides the church. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't want that. We don't want that. The people gathered in the town square, verse 1. Ezra the priest brought the law of God before the assembly. <coughs> Ezra stood at a pulpit, podium or pulpit. By the way, this is the only mention of pulpit that I know of in the scriptures. All the leaders stood with him. And you, you've seen that before. Leader stand with the pastor or leader, whatever. He read from the book of the law. Like I said, that had been pretty much lost to the people. When he opened the book of the law, the people stood. Now, there's a tradition where the standing and reading of God's word, you know, this is where it comes from. It's a, it's a good tradition. <laughs> it's a good tradition. But let's read verse 6 of chapter 8. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, 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 while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is true worship, isn't it? And this is what we're seeing here, the worship of God. <clears throat> also in verses 7 and 8, look there. 
And I'm not going to read all those names of the people there, but the Levites that are named there, they explain the law to the people while the people remain in their place. In verse 8, they read from the book of the law, from the law of God, and translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Now, this is nothing more but expository preaching here, but because that's what expository preaching is. It's reading the word of God and explaining the word of God, every bit of it, what it says, explaining to give the sense of it. And that's what he said it did. So you have all these, uh, have all these Levites that are named here. They're evidently among the crowds trying to explain the reading that Ezra had read, and they're trying to explain it to the people. This is, the word of God was lost to these people. It, I mean, it was lost to them. And uh, so this is very much... Uh, what is needed in the church. They, they were reading the word of God. And you know what? When they read the words of the law, they were weeping because of their disobedience. They realized that they were disobedient and they were weeping because of it. But, but what's happening in chapter eight is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's supposed to be a joyful time. And here they are weeping. So this is what happens. Verse 9 and 10, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat and drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And amen to that. Joy is a precious possession and gift from the Lord that should be guarded. Amen. (laughs) When Jesus was speaking to his disciples shortly before his arrest, he spoke to them about many things. Then he told them, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be made full. Amen. That's what we want, amen? Full joy in our lives. That's what we want, amen? You know, this is a great story about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and it makes, as we said, an awesome analogy for the church. It really does, for rebuilding the church. It will take us being all in, committed to God, committed to the work. It will take us using our gifts and abilities for the good of the church and the glory of God. Every person has so much to give, but many times we hold back for whatever reason. But you know, we need to stop worrying about whatever and not hold back, but use our gifts. And you know what? We had to use our gifts. We have something to share with others. We have something that will help others. And we need to share that. We need to share that. You know, and build others up. Amen. Build others up. That's what we need to do. You know, someone may be, may be thinking, what's the big deal? <laughs> well, it's about life and death, heaven and hell, yeah. eternal life, everlasting damnation. That's what it's about. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, know that you are a sinner and need him. Amen? Amen. And that he died for you so that you can come to God and be saved. 
Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we, if we confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So today, if you're not saved, will you come? And the message we've already said to the church, church, rise and build. Amen? Amen? A rise and build. Let's have a time of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart in any way, you come and do whatever God has laid on your heart.